Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that you can enjoy indoors or outdoors, wherever you are in the country. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching. We'll have a quick chat about some real news, and our main review is The Midnight Sky on Netflix, starring George Clooney. Very apt, your opening bit there as well, because breaking news at the time of recording, James... In the crazy game that is coronavirus, we've leveled up and we're at tier four. Woo! Yeah. Cannot wait. The nation is not in lockdown. It's just every part of the nation is in a local lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, let's forget all that grimness. How was your Christmas? It was fine. Christmas dinner, egg on toast, sort of. <laughs> Um, Christmas tea, I think it was like a salmon with like a soy sauce, sauce, some rice. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Might have watched an episode of The Crown and then fell asleep. Sounds good. Sounds good. What about you? Yeah, we had full English for breakfast in the morning. And then we had, you may remember, it paid stupid money for a bang-in-the-oven jobby from a local restaurant, which was disappointing. Beef Wellington it was, right? So we cooked it for the required time. And the meat itself was fine, but all the pastry was raw. But you couldn't you couldn't put it in for any longer because you'd be at risk of, of overcooking the meat, which is not what you want for Christmas dinner. So and it just it was just bland. It didn't taste of anything. We 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 were considering strongly complaining. But it feels like the moment's passed now. You might not even be able to go into the shop to complain. <laughs> that one, that's a very good point, yeah. Maybe they've uh, manufactured this purely. In fact, no, I'm not going to say the restaurant now. It's fine. All is forgiven. Dessert was okay, thanks. In terms of the day itself, I had quite a lovely time. And I was gifted with a really, you've seen a picture of it, a scurry pillow with my partner's face on it, which... It's supposed to, I need to hug something when I go to sleep. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. Like a, like a small child with a teddy bear, I suppose. But my little pillow has started dropping all its beads. They're leaking everywhere all over the bed. It's a right mess. So she bought me this pillow and it's the creepiest thing you've ever seen. It is horrendous. Something for the Instagram, maybe. If if she consents to that going on. Yeah. She I mean, to consent. People don't need to know what we look like, but by all means, let them see what my partner looks like. <laughs> a stretched, horrific face on a pillow will be the first reveal for the podcast. Yeah. Before we fully dive in, we're going to change things a little bit. At the end of the show, we know a lot of you, you've not seen the main review. You don't want to sit past spoilers when you want to watch that film at some point in time. So you won't hear us begging for your support. Please reach out to us. Send us an email at in the hours podcast at gmail.com alternatively you can support us by liking our instagram posts how so james in the isles podcast it's the purple image with yellow writing and a fine logo it is too right let's get into it last show of the year we're still in 2020 james did you watch anything that would have changed your end of year review top five list in the last week possibly would you like to hear about small acts Yes, tell me more. 
As per your request, I watched the rest of Small Axe after watching Red, White and Blue starring John Boyega and loving it. That was fantastic. Small Axe is, of course, Steve McQueen's series of five films about the West Indian community in the UK during the 70s and 80s. Yes, that is from Wikipedia. Here's my quick real person review of these five. I should say I watched these on my phone. I won't say what model because that would be vulgar. <laughs> Needless to say, the screen is less than six inches. So you can discard my comments if you think that makes this not a valid viewing experience. And don't edit me saying it's less than six inches into different contexts for the Facebook page later on. <laughs> so Lovers Rock is about people having a party. It's a, it's a massive house party. Worst Neighbours Ever because there's no indication this is an isolated, detached country house. The neighbours must be absolutely fuming because the, the party goes on all night. Uh, nothing much happens. It's a party. People come and go. There's some arguments. About an hour later, it finishes. Moving on. Alex Wheatle is about Alex Wheatle's life and imprisonment after the Brixton riot. By the time I got onto this one, I was getting small axe fatigue. This was the last one that I watched, so I don't really think it's fair to comment. And I think Mangrove is a better version of Alex Wheatle in a way. Education is about a boy who gets wrongly put in special school. And I really like this one because it looks like it's shot on old film and it's got a smaller aspect ratio. So it makes it look like it was actually filmed at the time and it's more like a documentary. It has the just documentary's perspective to it, so it's unique, I think, among the others. Charlene White, who plays the mother of this child, is the real story, I think, and her being made aware that these schools are systematically putting black children into these special schools, quotation marks. And she gets fired up and stands up to the school, and I really liked her development her growth into wanting to stand up for her son understanding what's going on but also being loving and sensitive at the same time education that was a really good one red white and blue i've already talked about that in previous episode which is john Berger as the policeman in a hostile work environment i think it's fair to say mangrove mangrove is the masterpiece i think it's a full two hours if you only want to watch one for time concerns, I'd say watch Mangrove. Mangrove is the trial of the Chicago 7, but in the UK in the 70s. It's about the Mangrove restaurant in West London and the 1971 trial of the Mangrove 9. So even there, it's like Chicago 7. All the praise that Small Axe is getting about it being a game-changing masterpiece, the best thing ever made, I think it could all be applied to this. The other ones are good, but Mangrove, I think, is the masterpiece it's an education it's a moving drama the performances are excellent sean parks as frank critchlow his journey like the mother in education his journey from being just a guy dealing with this systemic racism to growing into someone that actually wants to do something about it becoming an activist that's a really great story to watch there's a long shot this long single shot scene between Frank Critchlow and this other guy who's trying to recruit him. And that is more like watching really amazing theatre, just these two actors walking around this table, using the space, 
just a really standout scene. I was honestly really moved by the ending, which I won't spoil, but again, they just hold on one person's reaction to things being announced around him. You just see this one guy reacting and breaking down. And it was extremely, honestly, sincerely powerful. And watching Mangrove, that was where it clicked with me that yes, this is an amazing piece of work. Probably would have gone in the top five as a film if I had watched it in time. Okay. Does worry me slightly because I really do want to watch all of these and it sounds like they are all worth uh, giving a go, but the fact that you said small axe fatigue has made me think I'm going to have to think long and hard about how I do consume these. What do you think is a good middle ground for small axe rest period, small axe again? Two weeks? I think a week, because I watched Red, White and Blue, talked about it, and then it was maybe over two weeks before I watched the next four, which was all over two days. Right, okay, okay. So not the best way to watch them, really. I'd, I'd go one a week. Just go one a week. Set the time aside. Give us an order. Um, to a watch order, right, okay. Start off with Red, White and Blue. Familiar face, John Biega. Pretty straightforward story, coming in strong. Get Lovers Rock and Alex Wheatle out of the way. Then watch Mangrove, which is a kind of follow-up to Red, White and Blue because you see the, the police from different perspectives with those two. And then as a nice finisher, watch Education, which is strong. It's very good. It is very good. Okay. Might even skip the two that you said get out of the way because they're just giving a lot more favourable on the other three. I don't know. I don't know. But you've given me a lot of options, James, and that's all I was looking for. Thank you. What else have you watched over the festive period? I've watched Death to 2020 on Netflix. Oh, I've seen this as well. So we can uh, double down and give our verdict. What were your overall thoughts? Because we've previously talked about Charlie Brooker's other rewind thing early on in the podcast. Was it Antiviral Wipe? I think it was. That was yes, it. that was it. Yes, I can't remember the name of it. Antiviral Wipe. We were not that keen on that. Expectations were low. And this exceeded them. I really liked it. The targets for it were very predictable. But as it's a summing up of the whole year, I guess that's necessary. It's very safe in parts. Orange Trump, old Biden, didn't make fun of Black Lives Matter, made fun of conspiracy idiots. But I thought there was one level underneath that where there's some real good laugh-out jokes that have Charlie Brooker's fingerprints all over them. It does attack both sides, which is nice. It parodies people supporting things because it's fashionable and the shifting position of Kamala Harris after she was selected as the vice presidential candidate. So I liked it a lot. I won't read out all the lines that I've written down. What I did was I was trying to pick out moments to, to highlight and any part in the hour that I clicked on at random delivered a memorable line. I think that's how good it was. So like blowing the whistle while you're on a ventilator, that's a big ask. <laughs> I DJ'd a gender neutral gender reveal party. There's so many like lines that are packed with so much humor. I really enjoyed it. What did you think? Completely the opposite. <laughs> I did like it. No, that's that's too strong actually. I didn't mind it. I thought it was a perfectly serviceable 
hour and 10 minutes of entertainment. But I think I should have known full well with how I felt about Charlie Brooker's antiviral wipe earlier this year that it wasn't going to make amends for that bump in the road that he had. And actually, if you consider the fifth and last series of Black Mirror, maybe that's one as well. Anyway, never mind. I I didn't mind it. It was fine. But I think I was still really excited to see it because it's Charlie Brooker. I really love this guy. I think he's brilliant. He's an absolute genius. For me, I felt like the comedy fell a bit flat. You just reciting a few lines there. I'd completely forgotten about them and they are actually really funny. But I think that was my main problem with it is that if Charlie Brooker had delivered the narration for it, I feel like I would have found it funnier because I like his tone and his delivery. And Lawrence Fishburne was perfectly fine. He was good, but he was too serious. And I think I get Charlie Brooker's wit and I wasn't sensing that from Lawrence Fishburne. So there were some moments that probably went completely over my head as to whether they should be funny or not, despite the fact that inherently, given the dialogue that he's saying, it is funny. But I don't know, I just wasn't bought into it, I don't think. I, I always find like his observational humour and the scathing comments he makes to be the best thing about it, and it just felt like it was missing his voice. Like you said, it's pretty much a cheap pop shot at anyone and everyone who was an easy target. And with that, I felt like it lacked imagination and a bit of creativity. There was some points where there's like repetition of punchlines, which I just found great in. I just thought this this is not funny. Can we move on to the next thing? Do you mean like how they kept saying that Joe Biden was old in lots of different ways? No, more, more like in your face than that. Do you know the bit of, with Lisa Kudrow where she keeps repeating, oh, I appeared on such and such a show and said can't even remember what it was now was it conservatives don't have a voice that's it i was like i get what you're trying to do but i don't need it delivered seven times it's i don't know maybe there was something underneath that that did go over my head but i just i just didn't need it i thought it was a bit lazy and then the end credits bit is people saying the same line again which is a setup for a joke about pre-recording for next year but i just didn't find it funny Entertaining enough, yes, though. I, I just didn't, it didn't land with me humor wise as I thought it would. So I was a bit disappointed. Samuel L. Jackson, I thought, nailed the tone that I think Charlie Brooker wanted. I thought his delivery was really good. Um, and Hugh Grant actually was another bright spot after seeing him in The Undoing last year. I didn't have much of an impression on Hugh Grant, but I really like that he's attempting to broaden his, uh, his scale with the roles that he goes for. I thought he was quite humorous in this so that was good i agree there were some people that nailed the tone and some people that didn't quite obviously diane morgan friend of the show from bolton from bolton from bolton <laughs> nailed it she's a veteran of charlie brooker's stuff samuel jackson was good the guy who was the youtuber Steve. i'm as i'm as i'm as black as anyone that was good but then other people like christine Miliotti from Palm Springs. It was a bit too over the top. Yeah. And when she eventually had that breakdown where she just listed all the popular right-wing conspiracies, one after the other had a breakdown, that, that seemed a bit out of place with something that was being a mockumentary. So, yeah, some of it went a bit too far. 
Mm. I think the writing was enough just to be delivered in that deadpan wit. You didn't need people going over the top. So I, I'm I'm not that might have sounded overwhelmingly negative. I would give it a solid six point two out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> would you watch something on IMDb if it had a six point two? If I was out of options, yes. Lower than that, probably not. Okay. Okay. Well, I think we've squaws we've squeezed squaws and everything we can out of Death 2020. What else have you been watching? I just wanted to make a very quick mention to a film that I'm not going to review in depth because I watched it some time ago and I don't remember it too well. But what I do remember is I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it is Escape Room on Netflix, which is currently number four in the top 10 films on Netflix. It's a proper nonsense, good time of a film about a bunch of strangers trapped in a multimillionaire's mansion trying to get through various different challenges in the guise of an escape room. And I just had a really good time with it. I remember not expecting a lot and being very nicely surprised by it. So if you see that thumbnail pop up on Netflix and you think, I just want something that I don't have to think too hard about that I'm, but isn't a waste of my time, there's escape room. Give it a go. Thank you. I'll check that out. That sounds a little bit like a television show that I've watched, but I'm going to review that next week. Ooh, building up suspense. Yes, listener attention. <laughs> Shall I tell you about another thing that I watched this week? Yes. Which is The Mess You Leave Behind. This is a Spanish language thriller about a high school teacher who, following the death of her mother, and she's also in the midst of a failing marriage, she decides to give that marriage a second chance and moves back to his, her partner's hometown for a fresh start. She takes on the job of replacing a literature teacher who's recently been found dead in an apparent suicide. But is it a suicide or is it a murder? Well, watch the series, you'll find out. From the word go, she's taunted and mocked by these students who she's obviously filling in the, the role of this much revered teacher and they had so much appreciation for her that they just make her life an absolute living hell coming in as this replacement and that teacher that she is replacing may or may not have had an inappropriate relationship with one of the students in amongst all this she i hope i'm making sense here that the new teacher our protagonist she starts to receive a number of messages from someone threatening to destroy her life and these threats become ever more dangerous and violent in nature as the story progresses it's a really good mystery thriller with plenty of suspense the acting's really good across the board there is a scene of a lad masturbating over some wall art of his teacher and it goes to the lengths of showing you the sperm hitting the wall now i'm not sure what relevance there is to me telling you that but i just thought it was worth alerting you if you don't want to see that and i'm not saying i do but you know if you think that's a bit too much don't watch it reminded me of do you remember that film that I had the collector's edition itchy the killer back in the day yes i do actually yeah and, yeah. and the, the title of the film all reveals itself in actual human sperm go and read that my mdb trivia if you wish that's enough about jizz if this is what the youth of today are like, honestly, 
it, it's given me a greater appreciation for teachers because my word, these lot are absolutely disgusting in the way that they treat her. They have zero respect. It's atrocious. But good series, so I'll give it a go. The mess you leave behind on Netflix. Is the mess is jizz. <laughs> Sounds good. Spanish language, did you say? I did, and I must... I'm sorry to keep bringing this up as a talking point, but because we watched it when we were eating dinner on a few occasions, we switched over to the English dubbed version for whilst we were eating our meals because you can't concentrate on your plate and the screen at the same time. And it it was the same experience that I had with something that we reviewed earlier last year. I think it was called The Woods, I want to say, which was a Harlan Coburn mystery thriller as well. And the dialogue is completely different. Again, like there's so many liberties taken. It was almost a completely different sentence that is being spoken. And the main teacher in it, the protagonist, she's a really likable down-to-earth woman. But give her an American accent and she's a proper annoying bitch. I hate her. I absolutely hate her. Just from a voice alone, it was so weird to see what a, a different dynamic it was with just something as simple as a different voice anyway i'll shut up now i apologize i had an experience that's relevant so i'll talk about it ghost in the shell 1995 one of my favorite films of all time i can't remember which way around it was but i would often watch it dubbed all right complain to me i often watched it dubbed and then when i watched it with the subtitles on the lines that i loved from that film that made it one of my favorite films were completely different in the subtitles very odd, very odd experience. Mm. Yeah, it is. So, James, the year is drawing to a close. In fact, it, it does so tomorrow at the time that we record this. But shall we find out what's going on in the film and TV world as we wrap up 2020? Yes, let's go. It's the real thing. It is now. Real, real news, news. Should have probably said, as we led into this section, let's find out what we already knew near enough a month ago. So, James, what's going on in the world? I'm going to take a long and winding road to this one. So I saw quite a recent article, December, about how Tim Cook, the king of Apple, he binned off a Gawker media documentary, basically. And hidden within the many links in the article on MacRumors.com was a link to another story from October 13th, 2019, that I thought may be a sign of things to come, that I thought may be appropriate from this episode, which is beginning the new year. Basically, Apple reportedly told Apple TV Plus show creators to avoid angering China. Avoid portraying China in a bad light is the quote that originally came from BuzzFeed, the source of facts. And in another report from the New York Times, someone else senior at Apple has informed Apple TV partners that the two things we will never do are hardcore nudity and China. That's my subscription cancelled. So this is my reaction to that. If these big four, five, six streaming platforms, 
if they're going to have these market concerns that will limit the content that they can make, what kind of future are we heading into? There might be other streaming platforms, maybe Netflix and Amazon. They might say, okay, you can do whatever you want. We can make it look like there's so much crazy things on our platform. Like I'm thinking, thinking of ending things or the boys, but really there are hidden guidelines of things that you cannot say people that you cannot criticize. So if you want to see something a bit more controversial or someone that isn't being limited by the person giving them money, it might become more and more difficult. Mm. You might be only be able to buy it on video on demand. If it's even hosted by the iTunes store on video and demand, what future are we going into here? No, it's, it's a valid point. I, you would have thought though that, and I suppose it's guilt by association, but I think giving a filmmaker a voice to say whatever they want, and you're just the facilitator of providing that content to the masses. You can't be judged for it, but then again, you're hosting it, aren't you? So, yeah, it probably is that people just do not want the controversy that comes with having an unfiltered conversation about something, which is a bit sad. I hope it's not a sign of things to come, but... I guess we will see. One more piece of news. Well-known thing, Flix Patrol has monitored the Netflix top 10 movies and TV for every day in various countries. Number one, globally for Netflix was 365 days. Really? Yeah. That was the hardcore 50 Shades of Grey type film that came out, wasn't it, a few months back? I say yes. hardcore. It wasn't hardcore. It was severe softcore. Yes. So Netflix users, we know, we know what they want. There's a global score based on how frequently things appeared in the top ten. Two hundred sixty-five days, forty-two thousand. Number two, Enola Holmes, sixteen thousand, and then the rest are like pretty close to that number. So. 365 days, overwhelmingly popular, stick it, staying in the top 10 for a long time. Use sick people. <laughs> but you've seen the screen caps though, haven't you, James? <laughs> well, you know, it's. <laughs> leave it there. God, we got to. Yeah, we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> Are you bringing any news to the table? I'm bringing new old news to the table. So I don't know how this slipped under my radar, but it did. Are you aware of this Disney investor call that was made in early December, which is quite weird in that it's an investor call. It's all very financially motivated. It's not really the platform to go, oh, look at all this content coming out. But from that, we found out that they are planning on, well, pretty much taking over the entire world. So they've gone up to around 86 million subscribers now. I wish I had that comparatively with uh, Netflix. I'm not too sure. 195 million is the Netflix number. Oh, right. Okay. It's not bad, though, for what is, how long has it been going? 18 months? Yeah, not long. Yeah. That's good considering they've got The Mandalorian and nothing else. <laughs> True. <laughs> but to grow the audience even further, they've released 
10, 10 Star Wars series, 10 Marvel series, 15 live action Disney films, and a beep load more uh, of entertainment. So I specifically wanted to hear from you because I know that we're both fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, Star Wars, you're a lot more keen on it than I am. That's putting it very lightly. Do you think that this is too much of a good thing? Are they kicking a dead duck into the ground? Leave it alone, Disney. Leave it alone. Or happy days. I caught wind of this via different YouTube suggestions. And my first thought was there's so much here. There's so much to digest that I'm just going to wait for them to actually come out. Because in the good old days of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, when the Cinematic Universe was in the cinema, you could know what's the next thing. What's the next one thing that's coming out? Okay, I'll watch that. And the next one thing is this. And just work your way along the timeline like that. But now there's 10 things being announced and you don't know which ones are films and which ones are TV series. Are they going to be on Disney Plus and which ones are only going to be in the cinema? And what's the timeline? Where does it all fit together? It's so bewildering that I don't want to even look it up to try and figure it out because they've dumped out so much. And it's the same with um, Star Wars where they've brought out five series that are all branching out from the Mandalorian, but they also connect to the Clone Wars. And it's not a nice, clean timeline. I mean, I'm sure there is a timeline that exists, but there's so much going on. There's so much content Mm. that I want to take more of a wait and see because I can't hype 10 things in my head all at once. I think that's probably sensible. I suppose I was just wondering... From your perspective, do you find this exciting or do you worry that this might be bringing a pretty beloved property into a bad place where there's just too much of it and whatever good faith we had for it that we, you know, we let a few things slide here and there with a few of the Star Wars films that came in recent years. Are they at risk of just bombarding that goodwill into a sort of, apathy for the whole thing where people just think, oh, I'm just sick of this now. I don't want any more. Yes. Let's move on then. (laughs) (laughs) They were already on shaky ground with... Are you asking me about Marvel or Star Wars or both at the same time? More specifically Star Wars, because I know you're a big fan. Okay. I think there is a danger of saturating it and muddying the waters too much because at the end of the day, the first three Star Wars films, that's only six hours. That's only six hours of content that spawned generations of, or at least one generation of diehard fans. Now there's so many hours to go through. Can any of it really be described as iconic or classic when there's just so much of it to wade your way through? And when it's just another thumbnail on the endless scroll on Disney Plus, will it really feel as weighty, as valuable and as important as the six hours of the original Star Wars? I don't think so. No, I think I, think I agree with you. Cool, just wanted to hear your, your thoughts on it, that's all. Have you? I take it if you've not dug into it, although you might have caught wind of this bit, 
you heard about Hayden Christensen reprising his role? Yes, f- from the prequels. Yes, that was the word I was looking for. Yeah, and I, again, not reading into it too much because I don't want to hype it. I'll just rather wait. There was something about a promise of a rematch between him and Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't know if that's true or not. Oh, I yeah. hope it's not. I hope that's a joke because that would undermine quite a lot of things. Well, they, you could see the casting in itself as a bit of a joke because it wasn't very well received at the time. So why they've... I mean, he's he's not a bad actor, actually. If you've never seen a film called Shattered Glass, he is awesome in that, and it's a very good film. But he wasn't particularly great in A Phantom Menace or the other sequels, for that matter. Was he in A Phantom Menace? No, he not wasn't. You don't, what you, don't, what you, don't know what you're talking about. I have no. seen them. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, 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 you're right. I don't, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. History blames George Lucas for the acting in the Star Wars films. So the actors themselves are forgiven. That's, that's what's agreed in the community that just blame George Lucas for the acting. Okay, fair enough. Right. So the year is ending, but we've got one last film, one main review to bring you. Is it going to end the year on a high, James, or a very, very, very low, low? Don't answer yet. Let's find out. Let's find out. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week, we bring you our main review of George Clooney's The Midnight Sky, based on a book. Come in, Ether. This is Barbo Observatory. Are you receiving this? Is anyone out there? This is Ether. Does any one copy? We're not receiving anything. That puts our last contact with Mission Control out. Three weeks. Why is it so quiet? That's Ether. It's a spaceship that we hoped would be our future. I have to warn them about the conditions on Earth. I don't know all the details. It started with a mistake. There is an antenna that's stronger than ours. We get to that antenna, they'll hear us. Take a deep breath. George Clooney travels forward in time to step both in front and behind the camera for this cautionary documentary. The Midnight Sky is a tale of life, death and huge gaping plot holes, a film which shows that when the coronavirus pandemic finally waves us goodbye, we have the end of the world to look forward to next. Or as IMDb would say, this post-apocalyptic tale follows Augustine, a lonely scientist in the Arctic, as he races to stop Sully and her fellow astronauts from returning home to a mysterious global catastrophe. Daniel, what did you think of The Midnight Sky? Best film this year by far. This has replaced Possessor as my number one. Everything else has fallen down the list. No. I wish. I wish. I was was actually really looking forward to this. I thought it looked very good. I didn't completely hate it. I thought it it was a... Fine film. I enjoyed it for what it was. Had a really promising start. I was very mindful of the fact that George Clooney 
does not have the best track record when it comes to directing, with the exception of Good Night and Good Luck. I don't know if you remember from our blockbuster days, but because it was a PG rating, any opportunity I had to play that in the shop, I did because I was sick of all the relentless trailers that we'd have to watch day in, day out. Anyway, going off on one, shut up, get to the review. The cinematography in this I thought was great. It's a really, really gorgeous film to look at. It does feel like a really familiar formula that you've seen before, but executed in a lot better ways. It reminded me of films like, weirdly, Alien, The Grey with Liam Neeson, Gravity, a bit of a mishmash of human survival films, but I liked the initial setup. You get three stories playing out in parallel. You get George Clooney and his partner, portrayed by younger versions of themselves. Back in the olden days, telling his backstory, you then get George Clooney in the present day and his survival tale, and then you get a space crew who are travelling back towards Earth, all simultaneously being played out throughout the film's running time. It does switch back and forth between those events quite seamlessly, but I found that the George Clooney young girl dynamic was far more interesting to me, and that's why I was a bit annoyed that them battling the elements was just really riveting. There's really intense scenes and that they're always in peril. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm loving this. But then the second half of the film, you primarily spend it with the space crew that I don't really care about. And that was the main problem for me. It felt like the character development was really wafer thin. You get George Clooney's dying and he used to have a partner. David Alealoa, whoa, <laughs> probably butchered that. And Felicity Jones, they're having a baby. The other woman on board, she had a family and a best friend. Kyle Chandler had a mother. The other guy, don't know his name, he has a dead daughter. I just thought it was all very weak and you were given just something to attach onto somebody saying, this is why you should care about them. There is a very nice moment where they all sing a song together in space, which I thought was quite nice. But that aside it all builds to what should have been a really emotional, heart-wrenching ending, but for me, didn't feel deserved. That being said, I did think it was okay. I think it's been unfairly bashed by critics. I don't think it deserves the rating that it's currently got, but I can see problems with it. James, what did you think of The Midnight Sky? As you've said, it's based on a book from only 2016. So the book must be good for them to adapt it so quickly. Must be a good story, right? Question mark. The idea of a global catastrophe happening off screen, very matter of factly, only seen on a like digital map. And that possibly being some kind of climate change message was intriguing. But that isn't really explored doesn't flow upon that the plot i won't repeat to me it was just one man's journey to make one phone call and i can't say that i was that interested in that to be honest once i realized that was the plot because i'm going to be completely honest with you which is what is expected on this podcast i was so lost somehow about 40 minutes in that i had to pause the film and look on wikipedia because we both didn't know what was going on i don't know how that happened but we had to look up that the reason he's going to this other place is because he needs to contact the spaceship and he wants to contact the spaceship because if they come to earth, they'll be stuck having to land. 
I didn't get that's what was going on. I'm just going to be honest with you. No, it's because you're an idiot. Yep. No, <laughs> I, I thought the same. I did think the same at points. But in the wider sense, I didn't know, like, who is he? What was he doing at that research station? What were the astronauts doing? Were they terraforming that moon? Had they confirmed that they could live there? Had they left something behind? Is there a plan for them to go back? What exactly was their mission? And what happened to Earth? I get that it's a mystery, but it was so vague that I couldn't get invested and ended up looking on Wikipedia. Anyway, it's too plodding. The back and forth between the Earth, the spaceships and the flashbacks, it doesn't link up enough. It doesn't build momentum. There's no link pacing wise between them. You can feel the space between George Clooney on Earth and the people in space in a bad way. Everyone just seems bored and confused and tired. No one is that driven to do anything, except George Clooney, of course. In Interstellar, by Christopher Nolan, our God King, our Lord and Saviour, he tries to create the sense that these events that are separated by a great distance are happening at the same time. And that works well, but that doesn't really happen here. In The Road, starring Viggo Mortensen, based on the Cormac McCarthy book, which is one of the rare occasions where I've watched the film, having read the book beforehand, that captures the loneliness and bleakness of crossing an empty world and having a child with you. And the road has more people in it, but somehow that's more bleak and lonely. So I don't think that was really achieved here. The flashbacks kill the momentum completely, just kill it dead. I wasn't interested in young George Clooney. I was distracted by the guy doing a George Clooney impression. There is one really nice shot of the spaceship that goes across the whole length of it. You see all the instrumentation, the radars at the front and the garden with the windows and the engines. Really, really like that. The exploding blood shot, that is a spoiler, won't go into it. That looks really good. But despite what the Netflix YouTube channel says, that is not groundbreaking there was zero gravity blood in Star Trek, The Undiscovered Country, and that was in 1991. So... I thought it looked good, but I in no way thought that was groundbreaking. That seems yeah. like a bit of an odd thing to say. Okay. It did look good. That was like a, wow, this is shocking and just very good. Yeah. The cast are all good, as you said. I didn't know this was going to be more than George Clooney and his beard. I hadn't watched any trailers. I didn't quite understand the quick blurb on netflix so when felicity jones and the other guys showed up i thought yep this is good thumbs up to them george Clooney himself is good but i thought robert redford in all is lost did a better version of this job of man just trying to get from a to b without dying i didn't know what i was supposed to feel in this everyone was too relaxed for there to be any tension most of the time the crew don't actually know what is going on they don't know what they're heading into for most of the film. That is a problem for me. George Clooney is just tired for all of it. We know that Earth is lost. That's established in the first 10 minutes. So what is the point? What is the point? Very well said. Recommend then? No, unfortunately, despite sitting up in my seat and thinking this could be good in the first five, 10 minutes. No, I wouldn't recommend it. It's a shame, though, isn't it? Because it, it's your it's your type of film, this, in very many ways, isn't it? 
but obviously... yeah, I didn't know it was going to be as sci-fi as it was. Mm. I like the ship design, even though it didn't really make much sense, but it wasn't for me. Would you recommend The Midnight Sky? I may or may not surprise you now. I am going to recommend this. I did have a lot of problems with it, but it holds the title of being one of the only sci-fi films that my partner has been willing to sit through and watch with me because she found it engaging enough. Maybe that's because it isn't quite... It's not that sci-fi in many ways, other than it takes space place in space. So, yeah, yeah. There are a lot worse films out there. I wish it could have been better, but it was it was fine. It was okay enough. Okay. Weak, weak recommend. Shall we go into spoilers? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. So as you rightly said, this film hinges on George Clooney making a very important phone call, and that's about the sum of it. All in the interest of telling the space crew are travelling back towards Earth, don't come to Earth, you're doomed! He finds out on this last call that he makes that the captain of this vessel heading back towards Earth is in fact his daughter, or it's implied as much. It is definitely his daughter, isn't it? And I just thought, Oh, what? You can't, you've, you've, you've not earned this. You've not earned this. And the music soared, and I felt quite emotionally manipulated in a similar way that I did with your number one film of 2020, The Trial of Chicago 7. I just thought, no, I'm not. You're not doing me over. Trial of Chicago 7 could because it, it had earned it. But this, no, it was lazy in my opinion. What did you think about that last-minute reveal? I actually had to rewind it to make sure that was the reveal that they'd done. That is how little impact it had on me. And I couldn't believe it, maybe because they didn't earn it. I didn't think of it that way. I had to think, hang on, did they just reveal that that's his daughter? And rewind it, oh, right, Mm -hmm. okay. And they simultaneously do a Tyler Durden reveal, don't they? That the girl that he's been with the whole time is in his imagination, so... Yes, I was just going to bring that up, yeah. A double reveal. and I was left thinking, this daughter, he's never met her, but this Tyler Durden hallucination is what she actually looked like because you flashed to her sitting in the, in the car in the past. But if he'd never met her, he wouldn't be able to create an accurate image of her, would he? So that doesn't make sense. In in a book, that would make sense because you don't actually have to have any image of the little girl because it's on the page. Yeah. So it makes sense. But in a film, you're stuck having to actually have the girl played by a little girl who is the same girl that he's never seen. It, it just That was what I was thinking about. That is how little I was invested in it. I was thinking about those details. Yeah. And there are... There are big plot holes like that and and inherently a lot of problems with that. So I I can see why you were a lot less up on it than I am. So we both agree that was completely emotionally undeserved and out of the blue, really. It just didn't work for either of us. What I want to know is 
with all that in mind, what's the relevance of her not speaking to him for an hour? She's going to be imaginary to him. Why does she not have a voice, or at least not for an hour? Then she says one line. What's what's the benefit of that? I just didn't understand. Because he's thinking, if he's going to imagine the perfect child, the child would not mouth off to him. <laughs> Responding in a conversation isn't mouthing off. <laughs> I don't know. I guess because she's in his imagination, she doesn't talk. But if you're going to imagine, like, if you're going to hallucinate someone in that much detail, like in HD, at least give them a voice as well, go all the way. And maybe that was why she didn't speak, because she'd never actually existed. So you would go, ah, that's why she never spoke. Ah, it's so clever. It's not. Because she does. What I thought the end would be, I thought he would reach, because he loses his dialysis machine, he reaches the station, but he dies or becomes completely incapacitated before he's able to send the transmission. So it's the girl that speaks on the radio, and it's the girl that sends that final message, which is like the same as Metal Gear Solid Five in a way. That's a deep <laughs> cut. it's this young girl that gives this message and i thought they would do something with that but obviously that's that's not what happened no um i mean i asked you this offline but in for the interest of anyone who might have struggled as well i asked you is the place that he initially leaves on this perilous journey from is it the same place he returns to later in the film you clarified no it's not he's left because he needs to make a call to i keep saying the space team or the space crew i don't know what to call them what can i call them the k23 team that's the name of the moon i think okay let's go with i'll stick with space crew he calls them (laughs) and it is from a different location so that wasn't clear to me one thing that was clear that i had a problem with so i the science of of biology i'll be honest i've forgotten a lot of what i learned in high school i'll take what is presented to me at first value in many films now as being scientific fact or as near as damn it to what it can be but i watched a film and i wish i could remember which one it was fairly recently where somebody falls through the ice and there's an immediate panic with people going, oh my God, if we don't get them out of that water in 15 seconds, they will have hypothermia and they will, sure enough, they will be dead, like within minutes. Now, George Clooney's snowmobile falls under the ice at one point earlier on in the film. He dives in. He must be down there for around 45 seconds. But he's all right, because he's got a coat. That didn't seem right to me. Completely agree. Not only that, he gets out of the water. He's he's wet. It's night time. He does not have a change of clothes. It's fine. <laughs> he he should free. He should literally freeze. His clothes should turn to ice. Surely, yeah. And he should he should die really quickly. But that doesn't happen. Do you want to hear my favorite? plot holes that made no sense go on top five plot holes from the midnight sky yes 
the ice one, but also before that, when he's awoken by cold, freezing Arctic water coming into the sleeping box that they're in, he seems to only realize and wake up when it's halfway submerged. Now, I think that if you were asleep and I put your finger in freezing water, you would wake up. Depends if I'd had a drink, but yeah. But he doesn't wake up until he's half submerged in this freezing water. And then it becomes this urgent thing. That didn't make any sense to me. No, that didn't make sense. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. When they're surrounded by wolves and he's like protecting the girl that are all around him, he spins around and faffs around so much that he loses the girl, which was just pathetic. That was just bad spatial awareness. Like, hold on to her. Hold on to her. You are like, you're rubbish, dad, if anything, even to your imaginary child. But how do you lose an imaginary child? And then he just drops the gun. He just drops it. Even my wife, who's not nitpicking it like me, she says, where's the gun gone? He's just dropped it. That's rubbish. <laughs> NASA, why the hell have NASA not contacted the ship beforehand? There seemed to be some like anticipation of this event that it was going to happen because they're evacuating people. Mission Control's only job 24 hours a day is to send messages to this ship and be in contact with them. Did they not contact them at all i don't believe that they didn't i don't believe they didn't put some kind of mechanism in place to have automated as in unmanned messages going out after this cataclysm i do not believe that that and that's the premise of the whole film that they're not being contacted that didn't make sense facebook messenger yeah out of office put an out of office on (laughs) (sighs) can you imagine if some people were told by the line managers, put your out of office on <laughs> before you leave the office to die in this radioactive cataclysm. Put an out of office on. <laughs> this is a plot hole. It's not a plot hole, but she was pregnant, pregnant enough to determine the sex of the child. And I've looked it up on the NHS website, and that scan is done when you're around 80 to 21 weeks pregnant, which is five months. I don't believe that someone that's five months pregnant should go on a spacewalk. I just don't. No, I'm in complete agreement with you there. I didn't think that was wise either. But the only reason that character's pregnant is because Felicity Jones became pregnant IRL and then George Clooney said, let's put it in the story. So fair enough. I don't think you can really criticise them for that because they were just trying to be flexible with Felicity Jones, not use a body double. Fine. My last one. Sorry, this is going on for too long, but... The space crew, they arrive close enough to Earth to get a visual of the cataclysm before George Clooney calls them. So they get to see for themselves that Earth is lost. And they find out themselves that there's no one there. There's probably, they could probably figure out for themselves there's no SF to land. Then they get the call from George. So that made me think, what was the point of all this? Because they've arrived. Earth, they've seen it for themselves anyway so there's no urgency for you to get a call because you've seen it for yourself it undermined the entire film Yeah. something that's not a plot hole I just found it annoying, the gravity assist which is when they're making their approach to Earth the space crew making their approach to Earth George Clooney sends them a flight plan which would involve a gravity assist slingshot around Earth sending them back to Jupiter. 
if I see the gravity slingshot one more time in a film, I'm going to lose it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of seeing it. And it's introduced like some kind of maverick idea, but it's not because Wikipedia will tell us that the gravity assist manoeuvre was first used in 1959 when the Soviet probe Luna 3 photographed the far side of the Earth's moon. And it was used by interplanetary probes from Mariner 10 onwards, including the two Voyager probes, which were sent to Jupiter and Saturn. So I'm sick of characters seeing, oh, does this make sense? Mm, that's a pretty good idea for gravity assists because it's not a new maverick thing. And I don't believe that that space crew couldn't come up with that idea by themselves. Especially with it being old school, yeah. Not read your manuals before you got on board. Do some homework. They're more competent than the crew in a way. <laughs> Starting to play this one. I'll, I'll say that for them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who wouldn't be judging by your review, but yeah. Sorry to go on. No. You've, you've uncovered a lot of things that I just let slide to be quite honest, which is why I've resulted in changing my opinion on the film. So anyone who tells you you're not influential, James, tell them to listen back to this podcast and discover that they're just dead wrong. Well, if you can touch one person, influence. Don't, it's the current climate. Don't touch anyone. That's not good advice. But... Uh... So we go into the new year on a low. Good place to to start. But as a famous boy band once said, and I think it was Take That, the only way is up, isn't it, James? Baby. Yes, it is. Yeah. So for you and me now. For you and me now. And our listeners. Indeed. Next week we'll be bringing you a film. <laughs> That we will review. Um, so, again, as we've done in previous episodes, shaking up the format. James, any words of wisdom to end this year? Don't get pregnant in space. <laughs> and if you do, certainly don't venture out on a space walk. Any New Year's resolutions before we sign off? Watch fewer Netflix original films. <laughs> Good one. Good one. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Yeah, I'm going to quit smoking, therefore ensuring that we've got at least another two years on this podcast. Right. Good health, everyone. It's been an absolute shocker of a year, but 2021 is just around the corner and it's going to be an absolute nightmare. See you in a bit. <laughs> <laughs>